Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Tom and Janet, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board today is the always judicious John Dunn. Answering the phones is DJ Spaceship. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and DJ Spaceship will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's guest has been making waves in Hillsborough County political circles for more than a decade. After eight years on the Hillsborough County School Board, Cindy Stewart was elected Clerk of Court and Comptroller four years ago. She oversees a staff of 650 and a budget of $60 million. The clerk has about 1,000 responsibilities under Florida statutes, and we're going to talk about every single one of them. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a special three-hour <laughs> edition of Waymakers. But we are going We're to discuss lunch. <laughs> some of the big stuff and some of the changes she's uh, been making since she was elected to things like uh, jury duty. So welcome to Wavemakers, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Hillsborough County has had an elected clerk of court since before Florida was a state, thanks to Andrew Jackson. He was the territorial governor and wanted an independent check on judges and county commissioners. So it was written into Florida's first constitution and has been there ever since. Hillsborough's first elected clerk was James Lynch. Hillsborough has had 37 elected clerks, all men, until Pat Frank was elected in 2004, and Cindy Stewart. Cindy, on the clerk's website, you and I should say Tom... Our co-host has worked yes, for both. I got to Pat work Frank, for both of them. Because Tom doesn't mind being working for strong women. Good for you, Tom. Nope. Um, uh, so, Cindy, on your um, website, um, the clerk's website, you highlight three words at the very top, equity, transparency, and independence. Uh, why did you choose those words to summarize your office? So those words came out of um, right after I joined the office. We had a pretty big strategic planning session, which hadn't happened in quite some time. We rewrote the mission and vision statement for the office. um, And equity, transparency, and independence really are about the work of the office. Um, We equally treat and equitably treat everyone who comes before us, whether you're coming before us as someone in a jury room or someone before a court or someone who's standing in front of our front counters and needs assistance with anything ranging from an eviction to child support to paying a traffic ticket. Um, Same same way on the county side, um, the equity, transparency, and independence is all about we are an independent person who basically takes the information in and keeps those county records. Um, We manage the voting machines and the votes. We handle all of the the Roberts rules for the county that's on our side as well. And we sit through those meetings and manage all the minutes that are taken. So it's really about a space. And and just to be clear about the independence, the the county commissioners can't just say, hey, change these minutes. I didn't didn't want to say that or I didn't mean to say that or I didn't say that. 
Right, right. So, so we keep the record for all of yeah. those things um, and are the record keeper of those items, as well as in the court system, we're the record keeper for a lot of the information. We don't actually take those the, the minutes that are taken and, and in uh, the court re- reporting, but we do handle all the evidence and all the documents that come through the court system. So it's a very neutral space. Um, so those words just kind of fit nicely in that neutral space. It's not a political space. Um, we don't interject at all on the politics of what may or may not be happening with either a case or anything on the county side. Well, one of the uh, uh, things that you do, uh, one of the many well, hundreds, uh, a thousand duties that you have is uh, <laughs> thousand ju- <plus. laughs> jury duty. Jury duty. If if you uh, haven't heard Cindy Stewart's name before uh, since the election, you might have heard it when you got a letter summoning you to court to serve on a jury. And I always like to point out that jury duty is... The only thing mentioned in both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, that's how that's how core it is to our democracy. But And yet you know, people always want to get out of it. Right. And why? Right. Jury duty is fun. It is. Um, uh, so, or it's interesting. And I have never served. I've been, I have John, been don't say me, that. Like, you're gonna get, now he's going to get a summons today at home, and then he's going <laughs> to call me later. It always happened. It is the karma in the room. If you say I haven't served for a long time, I guarantee you. I have been summoned I don't know how many times, and, and I never, never serve. I, it's so frustrating. I would. I want to be on I was. I've been picked for two juries, and it was fascinating. I remember every detail of both of them, and they were a long distance apart, but it was fascinating. I thought it was yeah. really interesting. So we, we summon almost 3,000 people a week into jury duty, and that process starts. It didn't start yesterday. It starts eight weeks ago is when your jury date hits today. Um, we've done some unique stuff in that space. You know, originally, before COVID, um, the county only summoned on Mondays, and so all the judges would pick on Mondays. There would be... Hundreds of people. Hundreds Why of not? people. Outside the courthouse at 7.30 in the morning. Trying to park and trying to get food and trying to you know do their thing until they were picked by it by a jury uh, by by the uh, the court into the courtroom but um we've we've kept that at three days for now and seems to be a little more more manageable both on our staff and on uh courtroom staff um so judges pick on three days of the week for their upcoming cases the following week um and i think we're going to stick with that we we went back to we dropped two days just to give some administrative time for our staff and the courtrooms but we're we're pretty solid in staying with three days it allows us a little more space in that jury holding room um, we don't have as much overflow as we used to have. Um, I do want to touch on one thing, change that we made that we, has never been done in Hillsborough County. A lot of the other um, jurisdictions do it, but there's statute on the books that allows us, allows a juror to donate their compensation for the day, which is a whole $15 um, mandated by the state. Um, and we There's statute that allows for them to donate to one of two um, organizations. And so we instituted that about a year and a half ago. And the two organizations for Hillsborough County are the Spring of Tampa Bay and the Guardian Ad Litem Program, Voices for Children. Um, so we have... Um, as of last year, managed the jurors, actually the community, um, uh, gave over all of their $15 a day to the tune of $45,000 that went to the spring last year. Wow. So we're really excited about that. We hope we're going to have the same kind of 
um, response this year for Voices for Children. Um, and again, it's as simple as checking a box. And instead of you getting a check in the mail from us, your check goes to one and, of the two. And how did you pick those two charities? We didn't pick those two. They're actually named in statute that it has to be your domestic violence center or your guardian ad litem program in your community. Both okay. so, of which you work with closely. Right. We so they're connected to you. Exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. we do a lot of domestic violence work and a lot of injunctions that come through our office. So, um, yes, we're definitely connected to the spring. So it was an easy pick. But this us. $15 a day that they're paid, does that go, uh, are you paid even if you are uh, paid by your employer? A lot of employers will pay for your, your, your jury duty. Yeah, it's the people who aren't paid by their employer. Right. So, so it's that's those, a lot But there's of still a lot that's of people a, that are not paid by their employer right. um, that have decided to donate their, their $15. So it's now, great. Is there a penalty for skipping jury duty if you are called? Well, that's not my responsibility. That's on the chief judge. Um, right now in Hillsborough County, the chief judge is extremely lenient. You do need to mail back your summons with some form of reason for not coming, you know, whether you're going to be out of town, whether you have a, a child under. There's a lot of exemptions. Actually, there's legislation right now um, running in Tallahassee, we think it's going to come through, that allows for women who are postpartum and just given birth um, to not have to report for jury duty. So they keep adding to the reasons to <laughs> not come. We've actually done a little bit of a speaking tour about the reasons that people should serve on jury duty. I mean, jury should be a a panel of your peers. Mm -hmm. And if enough people from certain communities don't show up and represent the panel of your peers, you're gonna not going to get a jury that understands you or your situation or your background. So it's very important for people. We've worked really closely with the NAACP um, and Yvette Lewis to kind of get that word out there and, and make people understand how important it is to serve on a jury and be available mm -hmm. um, for that civic duty. Yvette Lewis, the president of the uh, local NAACP, who mm -hmm. does work closely with your mm -hmm. office. On and is a board member at WMF. Is a board member here at awesome. WMNF. Yep. Uh, but um, the reality is the judges are pretty lenient, as you said, right? They let they let a lot of them, but not everybody. Not everybody gets excused from jury duty, right? No, not everybody. Um, it, it, I mean, really, if you're sending in, um, here's the thing. You can get excused once. You're just going to get called again. Right. <laughs> That's what I tell people all the time. You might not be um, able to, to serve today, but I guarantee you're going to get another summon. And can you volunteer Unfortunately, no. <laughs> I've had a lot of people who sit in that jury room and say, I'll come back tomorrow or I'll sit here all week. And unfortunately, that's not how the system works. Um, I do want to clarify because it's still a misnomer out there that jury is pulled from voter registration rolls. And that is not true. Um, the jury selection is a random selection off of your driver's license. So it's really important for people if they leave the state or if they leave this county that they change their address because that's where you're getting pulled. I've had people call me from all over the states and say, I got pulled for jury duty. And I say, you're going to continue to get that summons until you change your address, until you change your driver's license. Did they used to be pulled from the voter rolls? Long time ago. Yes. When did, and when did they change it and why? Because I don't remember the year. I know they did change it. Um, and I think it was, it's a little more equitable to pull from driver's yes. license than it is people who are actually registering to vote. Yeah. And I think non-citizens are not supposed to serve on a jury, right? right? So a lot of people, right. are, so you have to, you have to call through those as well. Right. right? There's a lot of exemptions too. I mean, there's age exemptions. There's permanent exemptions. I think 70 and above. Yes, yeah, 70 you and above. You can, so you can actually check the box. There's and a good reason to, to turn be, 70, folks. Not be called again. But I really, but just because you're 70 doesn't mean you're not going to serve on a jury, right? No, you doesn't mean that. You can request an exemption. Yes. So another uh, a big 
thing that you have been uh, talking out in the community about. Uh, you spoke at Cafe Con Tampa last week, and full disclosure, I'm on the board of Cafe Con Tampa. We bring speakers in every week and uh, talk about important issues. But one of the things you were talking about was property fraud and the property fraud alerts uh, your office is offering. Why and, and what does that do? So um, the property fraud alert system is, has actually been out there for a while. I mean, the office invested in that technology quite some time ago. Um, it's just recently that in the last um, two years that the crime of property fraud has become so prevalent. Um, and right here in Hillsborough County, it's become extremely prevalent. Um, it's not very difficult to um, quick claim deed a, a property over to someone else and then sell that property and have the owner not be involved in the process. They don't even know what's happening. They don't even know what's happening. So, like um, someone can just sell your house. They take your. They take over your deed, right? The I mean, stroke of a pen. Well, it's a it's um, a fraudulent deed. It's a fraudulent it, it is, deed. It's a crime. But it but, does happen. But and but but the property owner may not know about it. So the property uh, fraud alert. Right. So the alert system is a free alert system. You scan a QR code or go onto our website. It takes you to um, a sign up. You sign up your name um, and that's it. So anytime anything happens in our system, in the clerk's system that your name is attached to or a trust name or your children's name, you get an alert, whether it's a text message or an email, um, that's up to you. Um, but you get an alert. So say I own a home and I put my name in and I'm having a new roof installed. So a permit would be pulled for that roof. Information would be entered into both the county and my system around that. That's legitimate, right? I would get an alert that said, hey, something's happened to been recorded on your property or your deed. It's a permit for a new roof. That's legitimate. If someone tried to file a new quick claim deed, a quick claim deed on my property, um, and I didn't have anything to do with that and wasn't aware, I would get that same alert. Um, I will tell you, it is a very difficult crime to um, prosecute and investigate. We've been working with the sheriff's office and the property appraiser's office and the tax collector's office because a lot of this starts with false IDs. Um, so we've been working closely with them on how to mitigate some of these challenges, but it is very, it's usually not one person. It's usually a ring of people involved, real estate agents, title company, um, property appraisal uh, staff that are, that are appraising properties for real estate agents um, that are running a ring. Um, we went to a very interesting presentation at the sheriff's office and it was a former ringmaster, basically, a fraudster who presented all of the things that he did um, to gain property. Um, and it was really interesting. One of the things that I remember most is that he said, I would never do this in, in uh, Georgia because in Georgia, your um, fingerprint is on, is attached to your driver's license. Ah. So um, it's a little bit different. So, but he had stolen property across six states. Um, and again, it was a ring of people. And, and a lot of times by the time people realize what's happening, it's too late. And the, the fraudsters are gone. You're not going to find them. Um, and again, it's not a, it's not a, anyway, so our, our system is really an alert for you to just be aware that something may be happening or changing. Um, again, there's and some. And it might be something that you know about. You, you just sold exactly. your house. 
Exactly. And the date is filed and you'll get an alert. Uh, uh, right. There's some legislation running in Tallahassee again this year to run a couple of pilots. Um, they did add some language to what is required when you file a deed. Now you have to have two witnesses with addresses attached to those witnesses and notarization. But again, we've got notaries who are signing things that um, they're blank pieces of paper, um, so it's really, it's been very eye-opening for this community, and we have been out there spreading the word about property fraud alerts. We have, um, to date, increased our numbers by about 33,000 registrations, but that at no way matches the number of properties that are currently sitting on the books in Hillsborough County. So That's how you go to hillsclerk.com and find yep, property. You go to it, hillsclerk.com. It takes less than a minute to sign up. Or, or if you see our documentation and scan the QR code, it takes you about three minutes to sign up. Are sovereign citizens part of the problem here? Uh, We're not seeing that. You're not seeing that as much? No. Yeah. They used to come down to the courthouse all the time and give the clerks a hard time trying to, you know, give uh, documents that... That aren't they, recordable. They, yeah. They, they, they still, they still do that. They still do that? Okay. I don't know what that means, sovereign citizens. Uh, these are people who think that the laws don't apply to them. They're, they're sovereign citizens... Um, since I, I'm on TikTok, I see, <laughs> I see lots of TikTok videos of sovereign citizens being stopped by police. I get a lot of videos about police oh, uh, yeah, stops. You but, do. Uh, I get dancing behaving. videos. You get Taylor Swift uh, dancing videos. Videos, and and so they they they'll say things like, uh, "I don't need a driver's license. I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm traveling." Like, yeah, oh, they're pretty persistent. Yeah, they're, that's pretty impressive, and they usually end up in handcuffs. Um, now, another big issue that you, you deal with uh, that we've already mentioned uh, in a, a, obliquely is domestic violence. We do. We you do a lot of domestic violence work. Um, I think so people would be shocked at how many domestic violence restraining orders are issued. Are filed every year. Are filed yeah. every year. Uh, thousands, right? Yeah, about 6,000 every year. And, but um, it starts with your office. It does start with our office. So we, um, we have windows open um, every day of the week at um, the um, downtown courthouse. Um, every, even, by every day, you mean? On Saturdays and Sundays as well. And Christmas. Um, yeah, holidays as well. We have staff that come in. They're there from um, hmm. 7 o'clock in the morning until 10 a.m. I remember there was a hurricane bearing down on us. The county had closed all their buildings. And the, the domestic violence working, windows are open. They were there. And they there were open. people coming in. Now imagine spending your Christmas morning going to the courthouse and filing for a restraining order. Right. So one of the things that we have done with um, domestic violence since I took office was in 2021, we ran a bill with Senator then Senator Cruz to just make it a little bit easier for um, injunctions to be filed. We found over um, the time during the pandemic, the, the law states that... Um, a, an injunction has to be delivered to the to the defendant by and the sheriff's office by either um, mail or fax, and it was fax. taking seven to ten days. What's a fax machine? Exactly, it was taking seven to ten days for that to happen, and for us um, in our office, I felt like that's you know this is about the victims and time matters for victims why what's the effect of that if it's delayed so, getting to the sheriff's office so You've if already it's delayed the then, then the sheriff well you don't you don't have anything until it's served upon the the petition the the defendant um and it's not fair for the defendant to not know what their restraint restrictions mm -hmm. are and it leaves the um the victim in a position that they don't know if this has been served yet so there's this you know was this seven to ten day window 
Um, we made a simple language change in the bill, um, and it, it made it through. The governor signed it. That allowed for now petitions to be emailed across county lines to sheriff's offices. So big win for us. Most recently in uh, October, we launched, um, we realized that we had some locations that people can file domestic violence. So you can go to the spring. You can come to our office. You can come to any of our offices, Brandon, uh, Plant City, or the downtown courthouse, but and you can also go to some of the sheriff's offices locations. What we did in October was the ex- we expanded to all law enforcement agencies now have at least one office that has a safe space that they can take injunctions from a computer in their safe space. Um, we also added the crisis center of Tampa Bay. Um, that is not an open to the public space, but it allows for victims who are in the crisis center's care, both at their Barris and their South uh, County location to file injunctions if they need to. Um, so it's just about access. Um, a lot of people have asked, are, do you expect to see an increase in injunctions? I hope that's not the case, um, but it's really for us about access. And so for someone from Ruskin or Riverview not to have to drive all the way into downtown to file a petition and leave their safe space potentially, um, it's just easier if they can go to a sheriff's office location down in Ruskin or Riverview and file an injunction. Not just leaving their safe space, but showing up at the courthouse exposing them to the the person who's per, uh, perpetrating the violence. And there have literally been times where that has happened. They have shown up at the courthouse and the deputies have to keep them separate so that yes. there's no violence there. Right. It's, it's and the, the courthouse is daunting. I mean, you have to come in, mm-hmm. you have to go through, you know, all of the security and, and it's a big space and it's, you know, it's a very large building. And, and again, you're, most people do not come to the courthouse for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit daunting for them to come there. So we're just trying to make it a little more a little easier, a little easier for people to, to file. And um, we're working really hard right now. We just put those um, spaces, um, locations up on our website as well. They're on Hills Clerk with the hours of operation because all sheriff's locations are not open all the time. So um, we're really excited about that expansion. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF, and our guest is uh, Cindy Stewart, who is the uh, clerk of the circuit court in Hillsborough County. Um, if you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. We do have an email from Dre Long, who wants to know about the, um, with your uh, property, the, the uh, property fraud uh, cases. Do you have any intention of using AI or anything to try to detangle those? Or are you using that anywhere at the clerk's office? So AI is being used limit, li- lim- very limited right now in some of our programming, and it's really about um, redaction and the things that we're redacting. Um, but we it, unfo- Just to clarify, you're talking about criminal uh, court records. Court records, court redaction records of and, court and records. Interesting. So you have AI look for certain words or something? Exactly. Yep. exactly. So, Social security oh numbers, God. bank exactly. account, account numbers. That must make As far easier. as the property fraud, um, it's really, we are not inv- actively investigating. That's the sheriff's office. They have an economic crimes division that is very active. Um, that is currently investigating cases here in Hillsborough County. Um, and there's a couple of news stories out there that, um, in fact, there was a news story this morning on Fox uh, 13 about um, there's one one county in the state that the property appraiser actually does the property fraud alerts. So the there's some language in Tallahassee around a property appraiser bill um, to change the way that that is happening. Down, I think it's done in Broward County, South County. So, um, but we don't actively investigate 
investigate. Unfortunately, there's not a lot the clerk's office can do. And it's really difficult. I mean, if you brought me a piece of paper today and said this is a legitimate deed, there's really no way for our clerks to tell if it's not a legitimate deed. Um, someone Especially if to, it's been notarized, Exactly. Right? Someone yeah. would have to step forward, you know, and, unless it is, you know, it's just very difficult. They right. don't, the law doesn't make it easy for us to determine fraud or not. And the, But just going back to using the AI for redaction, that's pretty interesting because that must make you so much more efficient because that would be super time-consuming to it go is. through and read a document with thousands and thousands of words and try to take them out. But I think, I think those clerks are also double-checking. The, they, they don't just... We, we actually human-check everything that goes through redaction yeah. in our office. Um, a, lo- a lot of clerks' offices are not doing that. They're just sending the documents uh, through a scanner, letting the AI uh, do its job, and then hope for the best. And, yeah. you know, that could mean the identity of a rape victim being released. Right. That, that has literally happened elsewhere. So... Um, I've always thought of the domestic violence uh, corner of the Edgecombe Courthouse as sort of the saddest part of the courthouse. I mean, you'll, you'll see people who are in their worst times of their lives with their kids. Uh, but then across the street at the Pat Frank Courthouse, you have the happy corner. I always thought of, <laughs> that's where the marriages are happening. Uh, so a lot of people get married at the courthouse still, right? A lot of people get married at the courthouse. So when I took office, we um, we really didn't have an area for people to get married. I mean, we kind of did, but it wasn't private and it wasn't very pretty for pictures. And when well, people the arch in, needed to be painted about twenty right. years ago. So we we really wanted to um, beef up that area a little bit. So we did. We made a. Um, it's a room now. There are chairs. It's decorated. You can really have a very nice little ceremony um, in that room. And we do. Whenever I'm over there, if there's a wedding about to happen, you can tell. They come dressed. Um, I'll step in and perform the ceremony. And they'll be like, you know, or, or I'll sign their documents. Um, we have we are putting out a little bit prettier document than the official document you can pay extra for. Um, and then we have our big wedding ceremony coming up on Valentine's Day next week. We will marry, um, I think we're up to about 60 couples. Wow. Who are going to join us in the park right across the street from the county commission? Joe Chalera um, Park. Joe Chalera Park. You still have time to register. Uh, the ceremony's at two. Um, you do have to get a marriage license before, but we are waiving the fees um, for all of that if people want to come out and get married that day. So last year was great success. Uh, we've done it since I started, um, and uh, it's been it's a it's a really great day. We hire a photographer. Um, we give little goodie bags out to everybody. They get their marriage certificate, and uh, they get married in a group ceremony. Now, who does these? What kind of people participate in these? Have you you've done them in the past? So all kinds yeah. of people, like um, all kinds of people, it, all walks young, of life, old, all kinds of people. Gay, straight, well, it's everything. people who want to be able to remember the day they got married. Yeah, first of right. all, right? Yeah, Valentine's Day for the rest of your life. Exactly, and it's um, inexpensive because we cover all it's costs. Inexpensive. <laughs> Well, it's not even very expensive. I mean, you have to get a marriage license. So you waive the fee for the marriage license itself? Yes, we do. Oh, and then isn't there a, like a $10 fee or something oh. for the for the ceremony? It's pretty cheap for you. It's pretty cheap, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've been I'm advertising. I'm planning a wedding for my daughter right now. That so 10 bucks sounds pretty good. Yeah, so we've been advertising <laughs> that a lot. And again, we're up to about 60 couples. Um, so we're excited. We're really excited. This is our third, fourth, third year performing marriages out in the park. And then we have marriages on May the 4th Be With You Day on May 4th coming up. What? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we did that last year. Um, we Star only Wars had, themed? We had a Star Wars themed wedding on May 4th. We'll be open <laughs> that day for passports as well, for passport issuance. Um, so we figured it's May 4th. We'll pop in there and do some weddings. I think we scheduled for noon. And um, 
Yeah, last year you so did some the pictures. I was dressed you. as Princess Leia last year, performing wedding ceremonies. Really? Yes. All dressed up like Princess yes. Leia. That's it was, lovely. and every and people came dressed like Star Wars themed. It was it was a great day. Um, so. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, and we will be back uh, right after this brief break. If you love classic soul, R&B, Caribbean, gospel, hip-hop, or house music, and if you love podcasting and exclusive interviews, if you love urban culture and urban music, then you will really love the Urban Cafe channel. You can find it here on HD2 if you have an HD2 radio or you can go to WMNF.org and download our mobile app so that you can listen to it all the time. There's no party like a house party, and the best house party is heard right here on WMNF. The Saturday Night House Party is heard Saturdays from 8 to 10 p.m. and hosted by yours truly, DJ Sinflow. The best in old school dance music, hip-hop, soul can be heard on the house party. So tune in and let us bring the party to you, the Saturday Night House Party. Always a fun time. Now, we are back uh, uh, talking to Cindy Stewart the clerk of court and comptroller in Hillsborough County. Um, one of the things you all do, and I'm not sure you're required to do this, but a service that you do provide is a passport processing. How many passports are you processing and why are you doing that? So we had passport Saturday last Saturday and we had 128 applications. So, so um, and, that's, and that's usually our big, uh, spring is usually a big time for us. People are planning for summer travel. Um, we've had a real influx of passport applications since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of let their passports expire. Um, so it, it's a service that most people don't know that we do. And they say, well, I tried to get an appointment at the, you know, at the post, post office, office. And, the post office yeah. and they can't get one for weeks and weeks and I say you can come in any day of the week 8.30 to 2.30 into our office and we're happy to process your passport even take your picture for you in fact we prefer to take your picture for you um, because they're so picky about what the picture looks like and the, the and if white... you bring one in that's wrong <laughs> right the white the white black balance on it the white gray balance is really important so um, and you can't smile either make no. sure you don't smile but we do we process um, quite a few passports on a regular basis and then we've offered now these days that we're doing. So the next upcoming Passport Saturday is going to be May the 4th, which is our May 4th um, wedding. And then we're going to do some evenings too. We're going to try some Thursday evenings. March 7th is our first Thursday evening, 5 to 7. So, And we're really catering towards people who are working, people who have children who need passports. Um, you know, they don't want to take them out of school. And the children and both parents have to be present when you do a passport for a child under the age of 18, actually under the age of 16. Um, and so um, it's important for us to make sure, again, it's about meeting the customer where they are, and we just feel like that's something we can we can offer to them. Um, it's not very difficult for us to have staff available. Now, another one of the things you all have, um, I mean, you're the repository of documents going back, you know, more than 100 years. Um, as I mentioned, James Lynch, the first uh, clerk, uh, I think he was probably keeping track of records with a quill pen. 
Um, you have advanced a little bit uh, in your technology <laughs> since then. We and, still have those records, though. So. And you still have those records. So what do you? where are they? What are you doing with them? So those records are out. Um, if they're not in a place called Iron Mountain, which is just what it, is, what it says is Iron Mountain. It is the side of a big mountain where a lot of things are stored. Um, and we make a visit there every two years. To Wait, check where on. is it? Up in Pennsylvania. It's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Huh. It's um, in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of nowhere. But yes. it's a fascinating place to yeah. go and see the huh. things that are stored there. Um, in the event of some natural disaster here in the United States, those that is where those records are stored. Um, but we also have a lot that's here in Hillsborough County. We have a very large warehouse out next to the sheriff's office and on Falkenberg Road. Um, and then a lot of our stuff, we're starting to digitize. Um, a lot of it was digitized. The big thing with digitization is... Um, being able to locate it once you digitize it. So indexing is very important. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the middle right now of a $3.5 million project that um, we sought funding from the county um, through the American Rescue Plan dollars that were available after COVID um, to digitize a lot of the, the documents that we have that are sitting in our Pat, old Pat Frank courthouse. And some of those documents are things like marriages, li marriage licenses going back to the 1800s. And then on top of that, we have this collection of maps, the original plat maps of Hillsborough County. So the e original Ybor City maps and the original mm. Hyde Park maps. And we recently had those maps actually um, copied and put on linen so they look authentic. Uh, they're not the real maps, they're copies. Um, but we've put those up for display in our official record space. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so Yeah, they're really beautiful. They're, people are really excited to see the old maps and see how... Both Ebor and Tampa and Hillsborough County have kind of grown and changed. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, um, I'll call out uh, the Ebor Chamber saw their map, their original map, and came to us and said, we want several of those for our offices. So we're really excited to put those on display for people. And, and the History Center has some of these? And the History Center is in partnership with us. So they have some in their space as well as some of the other artifacts from our office. And they've put a lot of their stuff online for people to view as well. The oldest book, uh, the day book, uh, which started with James Lynch, um, included uh, some really disturbing uh, transactions involving enslaved people. That's how far back this goes. Mm -hmm. But it also includes the first marriages of mm -hmm. African Americans in Hillsborough County. Yep. So little bit of good and bad in there, but there are documents and, and, and you have to protect them. Yep. Yeah. And, and so they're in this warehouse out there, but the more you get out of that warehouse, the smaller the warehouse can be, I guess. Well, so we will always keep the originals in paper, but it's just about access for the public. So for us, it's about allowing the public to um, view and review and have access to and potentially get copies of things. Um, but we keep we keep a lot of that old paper. Paper lasts for a long time. You'd be yeah. surprised, but paper lasts for a long time. I got to give a shout out to our vendor on that is Cofile. Um, they're formerly Kodak. They're located in Dallas, Texas. And I actually went out to their facility before we contracted with them to do this work, to see the work that they were doing. And it's unbelievable the restoration that they do on things that people thought putting tape on was a good idea or people thought laminating things was a good idea that would preserve the paper and it really doesn't. So to watch them 
peeling away and restoring documents. I mean, they're, they're, they're in very good shape. Our documents are in very good shape. There's a thing that happens with microfilm and fish called vinegar syndrome that actually destroys the documents that are on film and fish. Um, so we have to be very careful of that because then you lose the document forever. So uh, we make sure, we're, we're now making sure that we do a digitization of those documents so they're still going to be available for years to come. Now, Janet mentioned at the beginning that one of the reasons that uh, the clerk is an elected position is that uh, Andrew Jackson wanted to make sure that uh, there was a, a, an independent uh, check on county government. And one of the things you do is oversee uh, county's finances, which is billions of dollars. Five billion. And I mentioned you were at Kathy Contampa last week, and a community activist asked you, um, you know, there's a lot of money in reserves. Can't you just uh, write a check for $300 million and county can spend it on affordable housing? Affordable so? housing, transportation, sure. No, so, no, that's not our role. Yeah. What is your role? <laughs> so unfortunately on that side of the house, which that side of our budget is uh, closer to probably around 20, around $32 million. Um, I'm sorry, about $27 million. Um, our court side of the budget is about $32 million. What, what ends up happening on that side of the house is um, if you have a contract with the county to do any kind of work, um, your contract actually comes through our offices for us to review and do all the audit checks and balances, and then the payment actually comes through our office. So we take in all the revenue for the county, so all those taxes everybody just paid um, come from the tax collector into our office. We Those uh, those dollars are invested until they're needed through my CFO, um, and then we pay all the bills for the county. Uh, so any nonprofit dollars that go out, any dollars that go out for vendor payments, any small business loan or, or documents, that, uh, bills that go out are paid through us. Um, and we expedite quite a bit of, of things through the county as well. Um, so great working relationship. A lot of it is, again, ACH. We don't write a whole lot of checks these days. We try to do things through bank transfer. Um, but it, it is a big responsibility. We do about 1,000 transactions a day, about 5,000 wow. a week that come through, whether they're intake or going out. Um, so it's a pretty large staff. We're split about ha about two-thirds in the courts, and a third of my staff is in county finance and county administration on that side. And they're making sure that the, they're, they're, they're writing checks, so to speak, for things that are, are legal. They, they, that, that's part of the oversight, right? Yep, that's the oversight side, exactly. We have a lot of checks and balances that we go through in order to make sure that we're paying the right people, the standards are met, that the job's completed, um, the work is done, that it's done according to scope, um, and that all the documentation that belongs with an invoice or a payable is, is so, there. So you're pushing back sometimes. Absolutely. Well, that raises an interesting question to me because I, I find it fascinating. On the one hand, you are uh, an independent oversight. You're a watchdog on county government, yet you also depend on the county for, for funding. So where's, how does that tension work out? It actually works out great. We have a great relationship with the county. Yeah. Um, we, we do. I have feel like I have good relationships with a lot of county government here. Um, and I think we all do. Um, very well, you also have a similar thing with the, the, the courts, right? We're very so fortunate in Hillsborough County that county government here works very well together. 
um, it, whether it be the courts or the commission, we don't always agree on politics. I will, I'm not here to say that. But when it comes to doing what is best for Hillsborough County, um, we really do come to the table and roll up our sleeves and make sure that we leave politics aside and do what's best for this community. I have a great working relationship on the court side of the house with you know all the court partners, whether that's the state attorney's office or the chief judge or any of the judges um, and the public defender. And on the other side of the house, I you know, I can call pretty much anybody on that side of the house and say, hey, we have an issue. And they know they can call me. Um, if they get a constituent call and they have an issue, they know that they can personally call me and we will filter it down the line to whoever needs to manage the problem. And so, that's not always true. In well, order, and there's yeah. not a lot of politics involved in, in your work. I mean, no, there's a, not. a lot of it. I mean, what it is, it's it's basically making sure all the rules are being followed. Exactly. So, so we manage the audit for the county side of the house as well. We handle both the state audit that handles for all of county and then we handle all the constant we're in the middle of that work right now so all the constitutionals are currently being audited um, including the sheriff's office and um, we're wrapping up that work and then we'll start working on the county audit um, which is an audit of uh, not just the clerk's accounting uh, which handles all the court money but the county money and so and then there's a very large report the ACFR the, uh, that is due to the state um, in a, at the end of March and then the beginning of June we have single audits that are due so really big work that that side of the house does as well um, as well as managing the meetings and, and being being there in for those things and that's not always true I, I you know went to a couple of clerks statewide conferences not the most exciting uh, way to spend a Come week on now Tom but <laughs> I was shocked to discover how many clerks don't really talk to their chief judge very often or they have they they're fighting with the county commission uh, and I, I I never saw that here right right yeah. We tend to handle things not as much in the public um, and make sure that we're getting the work done. Um, and again, we're not always going to agree. Yeah. Um, but we do have a great relationship with the chief judge. Um, if I go to him and say, hey, look, this is an issue. My office can't staff this or we're short staffed or we need to have a conversation about how this is working, whether it's a legislative change or a change that he's made or an administrative order that's been written. And I've asked him to write administrative orders. Um, and I asked him recently to write an administrative order around around uh, fentanyl and, and uh, serious narcotics and how they're handled in the courtroom. Um, we certainly don't want anyone bringing that into a courtroom, and we certainly don't want clerks having to handle it as evidence. Uh, you also um, can't even control when you close the, the – clo your office is closed because there were times where the judge said, no, we're not – there might be a hurricane coming or there's whatever, there's some, some issue the county – the county's going to close the county center, and the judge is like, no, we're not closing. Well, because the, the judge is actually governed by the Supreme Court of the state, yeah. so it's a little bit different. So unless the Supreme Court says you can close, we have to stay open. So we do have that conflict every once in a while. We have it with just the regular um, holiday schedule, um, that not all of the judicial holidays are county holidays and vice versa. Um, so we do, we have to juggle that a little bit in our office because, again, we have people who are working in two different sides of the house. So you were elected four years ago, and at the time, uh, you won in a primary. There was no Republican opposition. Now you're running for re-election. Um, and so far, nobody has filed to run. Uh, but uh, a couple of years ago, Republicans had uh, quite a run at some of the offices, and they now control majority of county commission seats. And there's some thinking among Republicans that they ought to go challenge every constitutional officer. So far, only... 
uh, the election supervisor, Craig Latimer, has has drawn a Republican challenger. So uh, what what is happening here on the election front, Cindy? Um, this is the time of uh, the year prior to an election. We like to call the rumor the rumor mill, the fishbowl rumor mill, <laughs> because um, everybody has high aspirations. Um, everybody thinks that they know what's going to happen when the election rolls around. Um, they um, are kind of watching to see. It's like a chess game, watching to see who makes what move first and who makes you know m- what move where. Um, and we all kind of sit. Those of us who are elected, we kind of just sit back on pins and needles, waiting to see when the f- the ball's going to drop. Um, but if you're most of the elected officials here in Hillsborough County who are are doing their job, um, we're doing a good job. The county's in great shape. Um, this is a county with um, that is doing very well. It's growing. Um, sometimes n- more than we'd like. <laughs> um, you know, in fact, you can come and visit, but make sure you go home. Is what <laughs> we kind of say. But um, I mean, really, to be honest, we we are a growing county. We have low crime. Um, we have great schools. Um, so if we're doing our job appropriately, you know, there's not a lot of reason to challenge. Or you're going to have to find a reason to challenge. Um, and, and that's really what's happening now. I think people are looking at what are the reasons to challenge some of the constitutional and some of the elected. Um, you have a couple of people term, terming out in a couple of spaces, so there'll be some elections there. But um, it's really, a, it's like the washing machine right now, kind of everybody kind of figuring out. And, and that will happen until June. Um, as you know, qualifying is in June um, for most of the higher offices. Um, now, the judges qualify in 90 days. I think their qualifying is at the end of March. Um, so, you know, you'll have a lot of people throwing their names in the hat, and you'll see people move in and out. Um, you're going to have a, a lot of fundraising asks between now and June um, as people try to gear up for what happens between June and even a primary or a general election, so August or November. So, so far, no opposition. So I guess we'll see what happens. So far, no opposition. We just keep doing our thing and running a campaign like we always do. Speaking of which, um, so four years ago when you were running, just before the election, you were on the school board. And one of the big uh, issues at that time was whether to reopen the schools, uh, which had been closed because of the pandemic. And it was it was a tough meeting, as I recall, um, and there was a lot of uh, push among Democrats to keep the schools closed. You're a Democrat, but you voted to keep the schools, to reopen the schools. Um, what were you thinking then? Because at the time I thought, uh-oh, we have a Democratic primary coming up. There goes Cindy, but no. Uh, what happened was you voted to reopen the schools, the schools were reopened, and, and you got elected. So. Uh, what prompted you to vote to reopen the schools in the face of that kind of opposition? Um, so we've had several meetings that led up to that an initial vote. We'd had um, quite a few meetings that we talked about um, the numbers. Uh, we'd put a survey out to families that came back. Um, there was a lot of health information, and it was very it was very confusing. It was you know the CDC kept changing what they were doing um, and what their recommendations were. I remember the county commission had this big group of people that would meet weekly and. And it became very political about what they should open or not open. Um, And I had asked for a lot of the medical information to be brought forward. And I remember um, some friends from Tampa General came over and spoke to 
the the board. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, for me, it really wasn't a political thing. When I looked at the numbers and the survey numbers, and again, we surveyed all households in Hillsborough County who had children. And I had a child in school, so I knew what people were dealing with and living with from March until summer when the kids broke for summer. Um, so two things happened. We were mandated by the governor to reopen. Um, and as an elected official, you uphold the law. You are sworn in to uphold the law. He was mandating that we reopen. Um, you had two weeks give to reopen from the date that you were originally supposed to open. So we asked for that additional two weeks for people to get prepared. But when you looked at the survey numbers, 50% of the people wanted to go back to school. I mean, I don't think people at that time, I was considering because I knew children and families in this scenario that, um, you know, children who had special needs, who were at home and dealing with a lot of things at home, children who had learning disabilities that were missing out on those things, and 50% wanted to go back. Fortunately, the district at that time offered an opportunity for if you didn't want to go back, you could stay home. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gave you a choice. And I felt like that was the path we needed to go down. If you wanted to send your child back to school, which a lot of people did, um, you could. And if you chose not to, you could keep your child at home. Personally, my son stayed home. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. Um, oh, why is that? He chose to stay home. He um, struggles with ADD. So the, the noise and all the things happening in a classroom um, were really uh, difficult for him. Um, and he just started to really flourish. I will tell you not to get too personal. Poor Carson is going to hate me for this, but <laughs> he was really struggling. I tell this story all the time. He's really not going to be upset, but um, he was struggling. He was not going to finish his senior year because he could not pass the state reading test. And so we were struggling to get him past that point. Over COVID, he managed to take that test again and pass. Hmm. From there, he stayed home. His GPA soared from a failing D all the way to a 3.6 at graduation wow. less than a year later. So for him, it was a true success story. For other children, I know there are children who are still suffering from that time frame hmm. that they were home, that they weren't in a classroom and learning from a teacher. Um, so there are, everybody learns differently. Right. Everybody, everyone Which actually, learns you know, how, I mean, it's probably sad that there are kids like Carson that are struggling just because they don't have the right learning environment. Right. So for him, it was, I have a quiet environment. I do everything on my computer. I do it at my pace. I turn it in. It already has my name on it. So those were struggles that we were dealing with for years um, that were solved because he had the opportunity to use a computer and be in his own space. And if he wanted to do his homework at 1130 at night, no one really cared as long as he turned it in at, but by the due date. But one thing, though, that people I don't think were really thinking about was, you know, if you have a single family home and you've got two or three kids and you don't have computers in the home, how were they supposed yeah. to, what were they supposed to go to the the public library to study or what, what was... So there was a lot of distribution of laptops to children at that time. But again, a laptop is of no use if you do not have internet access. Um, and for those of you who are not aware, we still have a, a large group of... Um, a, a large area in the south part of the county that they really struggle to have solid, uh, consistent internet access. So um, that was a problem. I mean, and, and we struggled feeding children, the number of children that the school district feeds every day, whether it's just breakfast and lunch or the 
the food pantries that are available out there now. Um, so how do you get that food? Because for some families, those two meals are a day are a lot of what those kids get for nutrition. And, you know, that wasn't available. So we started delivering foods to neighborhoods and making food available for people to do drive-by and pick up. Um, so there were a lot of challenges were with keeping children out of school um, versus putting them back in school. And again, at the end of the day, we were mandated by the state to put kids back in school. So... Uh, and uh, uh, another um, uh, initiative that you took on when you were on the school board uh, that showed a lot of strength and courage was when was the tax increase for the school uh, the schools that was on the ballot at the same time as the transportation tax. A lot of people discouraged you from advocating for it, and you went forward with it. Because the advocates for the transportation amendment did not want the school board amendment. And then right? you're the school tax passed, and we have that but not so much the transportation one. So talk about that, about taking that on. Right. So I, I guess because of the work that I did at the school district and the budget you know, challenges that I knew we had, we had no choice. I mean, we had to go after that tax money. Um, we had air conditioners. I don't know if anybody remembers. We had air conditioners breaking left and right mm-hmm. in the, you know, in what would be considered the beginning of summer here. Um, so that April, May, June timeframe. And, and, and then even into August, it's still pretty warm, August, September, oh, when yeah. you go back to school. And, um, you know, we really use that to push out. This is an opportunity for capital dollars to get into schools to make some of these repairs that need to be made. Um, and again, this district has grown, the district and this community has grown significantly. Um, there are 215 schools in this community at a million and a half people. Um, so it, it's, it was an interesting time. We did sit down. I remember sitting down with the All for Transportation group and having a conversation and saying, look, we don't want to compete. But if, if push comes to shove, we're going to push kids over transportation. And I was actually very, very surprised that night when both of those um, taxes passed. Um, it's a little sad what is happening with the transportation money now. I'm not sure where that's going to go. Well, that, um, it, uh, the clerk's office used to hold on to that money until the did. state took it away, right? Now it's with the State we Department did. of we, Revenue. We had it, and then we turned it over to the Department of Revenue, um, which I'm very glad that we did. There was a lot of talk about um, trying to refund that money, and um, we very quickly stood up and said, hold on, that will create a terrible fraudulent uh, fraudulent." places mm-hmm. for people to try and get dollars back that they really did not that did not belong to them. So um, yeah, we struggled with that. Um, but I'm, I'm glad it I'm glad it is where it is. I, I really hope that um, our local delegation and our local uh, po- politicians are fighting for those dollars to come back to Hillsborough County. Well, like uh, your predecessor, Pat Frank, uh, you went from being a policymaker to a policy implementer. You're implementing policies that other people pass. Is that frustrating? And what do you have uh, store in store for the next uh, few years? So it's not frustrating. It's just a different role. Um, I went from being, you know, I, I treated my school board role a little bit differently. I was a policymaker and that was our the budget and policy were our, but I had some pretty big initiatives there that have st- continue to stand up. So I'm ex- glad to see that. And, and some of those things we brought with us. Um, right now, we're in the process of um, reviewing processes and, and procedures in our office. We're looking at the Sterling Award. Um, we have already... The Sterling Award is a big deal a and big a deal. lot of work if you want to, if you get it. Right. And it we, goes to a, an employee at the clerk's office? Or? No, it's an organizational oh. award. Okay. Um, um, the, uh, Craig Latimer's office, the election supervisor, right. they have a Sterling Award. And by the way, your office has nothing to do with elections, right? No. 
No. Nothing. Uh, but if you get that Sterling Award, that's a feather in your cap. Yeah, no. So we're, we're working on that. That's a, that's a pretty long process. Um, we recently um, were awarded uh, Top Workplaces, women-led organization. Um, and we have a couple of other surprises coming along along with that uh, in, here to be announced in March. So we're really happy about that. Okay. Um, and so we'll continue to do innovative projects like we have um, and make it uh, that much easier for the constituents out there in Hillsborough County to reach us and to use our services. Speaking of reaching you, how can people reach, uh, maybe not you necessarily, but your office? So the easiest way to or reach Or do they email office, you directly? You know, can you people, get me out of jury duty? call me on my personal cell phone <laughs> all the time. We no, were talking about that the duty. other day. I got Everyone, a call go this to morning. Jury duty. Yeah, I got a call this morning. Uh, someone uh, was trying to upload his uh, school education certificate for uh, a ticket. So, um, <laughs> but they can reach us at hillsclerk.com. We have go. a brand new webpage up. Pretty simple. Well, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it very much, Cindy. And thanks, John, for your fine work. Um, stay tuned. Up next is American Radio, followed by Harrison the Nash. Music with Harrison Nash. This is WMNF Tampa. Tampa.